First, a remembrance. Few actresses brought with her the same level of comedic energy and dramatic skill as the late Cloris Leachman. Best known for her work on The Mary Tyler Moore Show and its spinoff, Phyllis, she also won an Academy Award for her role in The Last Picture Show and should have won another Oscar for her role in Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. On television, she also made her mark in shows as varied as Lassie, The Facts of Life, Raising Hope, and even Dancing with the Stars. In film, her credits include The Muppet Movie, The Beverly Hillbillies, and The Iron Giant, among many others. As a child, I knew her well from her collaborations with Mel Brooks, including roles as Nurse Diesel in High Anxiety and Madame Defarge in History of the World Part One. In short, she was a genius. Her talent with accents and physical comedy made her a natural favorite of Brooks, and her sporadic forays into dramatic fare showcased her singular ability to be just as subtle and nuanced as she could be exaggerated and broad. She even had an extensive stage career in Broadway productions such as The Crucible, A Touch of the Poet, and South Pacific. She did everything, and over the course of her career she racked up an Oscar, a Golden Globe, and eight Primetime Emmy Awards. She was one of the last of an amazing generation of comedic talent that straddled both television and film. Not an easy thing to do at the time. And she'll be remembered for her range, her warmth, and her amazing durability. So now, all together and on the count of three, let's speak the name of one piece of art that Cloris Leachman created that brought us some level of joy in our lives. A movie a TV series, whatever you want. Let's put her name into the universe and, wherever her energy is, maybe she'll hear it. So here we go, on the count of three. One, two, three. High anxiety. Now it's time for the show. songs mommy's here daddy's gone broken promises gin and rye all the mean and hurtful things that made baby jesus cry hello and welcome to movies with gravy a podcast in three acts where we discuss an under the radar new release and the films we believe inspired it my name is billy ray bruton and i am your host and antagonist for the next 90 minutes and joining us today is a three-time landowner on The Blacklist, the writer of the upcoming horror film Cobweb and the upcoming reboot of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and his script Video Nasty was recently acquired by Seth Rogen's Point Grey, and he's fun to have a few drinks with. The best-looking thing to happen to horror since Patrick Wilson, Mr. Chris Devlin. Wow, what an intro. Everybody uh, says that. Everybody I, says I, that. Uh, no, I know. It's a little bit of a cliche at this point, so I'm glad that you were bold enough to lean into it. Um, thanks for having me, Billy. This is a, a real delight. What is this, episode four? This is episode four. Okay, not bad. Top five. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> well, I was delighted that you... Uh, I enjoy talking about flicks with you, so I thought it would be fun to have you on. Yeah, that's the main thing we do. I mean, it's kind of the only thing we do, isn't it? That's true. Either point, that, e- either that, or find a way to harass Ryan Spindell. You know, one, one or the other. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I also thought this would be a fun movie to have you on for because uh, of the scripts of yours that I've read. 
they they all have a sort of a little bit of a tinge of a sort of how, how would I put it sort of or at least the ones I've read have sort of a dark coming of age quality to them. I would not fight you on that. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. yeah. And I'll admit that when I saw the um the first mention of this movie um and I read the premise, I was pretty jealous that I hadn't <laughs> thought of it. Um because I thought there was a lot of promise there. Um so yeah, I think that's um that's accurate. I tend to write things about kids in horrific situations. Um which I think it would be fair to say that that's what this is. Uh, yeah, I would say that's a very fair thing to say. Um, I, I Well, we'll get to some of the discussion of the film uh, a little bit later, but uh, I, I am curious, um, just on the offset, did you know much going about it before, before I told you about this film? Did you know much about it going into it? Almost nothing. I knew it was the writer-director of The Void, which I um, am ashamed to admit that I still have not seen. I probably should have done so before uh, recording this. But um, yeah, that was about it. I knew it was a Shudder exclusive, but I gotta say, still doesn't seem like it's on Shudder, which was a weird way to advertise this thing. But um, uh, iTunes fortunately had it, uh, and they got uh, two viewings out of me. So, um, you know got to support independent film yeah i think this is one of those sort of like the dark and the wicked scenarios where they decided to do vod first i think it gets released on shutter in the summer that's fair yeah i think they're going the the theatrical vod route first and then dropping it on shutter cool but yeah so um that's basically all i knew about it and then you told me uh i was going to be on your show and this is what we'd be talking about so i kind of did not do any research and just went in blind and um yeah well, more importantly than this film, what are your thoughts on gravy? On <laughs> gravy? So here's the thing. I am classically not a huge gravy fan, or I should say was not. I was a very picky eater, and I'm not from the South. I'm from Pennsylvania. And uh, Thanksgiving food in general was never high on my list. But I will say that in recent years, I have developed a taste and appreciation for gravy i don't know the nuances i don't know the ins and outs i heard you talking with a gram i believe about white gravy and i don't even know what else meat gravy uh i just know that there's brown stuff uh that i will put on mashed potatoes to give them a little bit more flavor well as a tangent from that what do you think of gravy as a condiment as in not something that you smother over food but something that you use for dipping i don't know this is a whole new world to me um, I would be excited to, the next time I see you in a post-vaccine world uh, to hang out in Los Angeles and you can make me a big old bowl of gravy in which to dip various, I don't know, finger foods? What do you even dip gravy in? Handfuls well, of mashed potatoes? Chicken fingers? Uh, uh, French chicken fries? Fingers, yes. French fries. I mean, French fries, it makes sense because you've got something like poutine, which is- Well, I love poutine. I, okay, yeah. I take that back. I mean, yes, if you're, uh, if uh, we're considering- um, poutine a uh, french fry with a condiment on it then yes I, I i buy that that sounds great to me okay well i'm glad we cleared that up uh i was really concerned about how you were going to react to gravy so now we gravy 
we can continue now. Gravy un- curious. Unfettered. Um, so uh, the film we are talking about, which I don't think I've even mentioned yet, is Psycho Gorman. Uh, and I'm going to play you a clip from it so you can get a sense of what it's about if you don't know a goddamn thing about it. So uh, check this out. Oh, my God. Man, that's what this one called me. Are you also man? You are much smaller creatures. No matter. You will suffer like the rest. Know that in the sweet release of death, you will be spared the sight of your planet being torn to pieces. Watching as everyone you hold dear is drowned in a sea of their own blood. No, I am not a man. I am a walk man. And you're gonna let go of my stupid wiener bro right now! Psycho Goreman is the story of siblings Mimi and Luke, who unwittingly unearth a magical amulet that gives them full control over a horrendous alien monster with the power to destroy the entire galaxy. And after much deliberation, Mimi decides to call him Psycho Goreman. As guardians from Goreman's home planet attempt to find him to keep him from his death and destruction, Mimi and Luke teach him how to play games, watch TV, wear clothes, and all sorts of other human activities, with the monster vowing to massacre them all the moment he regains control of the amulet. So, that is a pretty condensed description, but I want to start out with a question for you, sir. Is this film more than the sum of its parts, or is it merely a fun throwback that hits and misses in equal measure? Ooh. I... I liked this movie. However, I would probably, if, if those are my binary options, I would probably go with the latter. I think it is a collection of episodes that are delightful, um, that don't necessarily add up into a cohesive whole, but it succeeds at what I believe it set out to do. It's my yeah. diplomatic answer. Well, that was a diplomatic answer. We appreciate that. And uh, I, I feel like we're probably in the exact same place on this film. This film, for me... This well, is going to be a boring episode. It is. I'm sorry. In adv- well, no, because I, I I don't think so. Um, this film is if Don Coscarelli made a film for Troma. Yeah, That's you know what? I mean, there was a... I was thinking that there was a very um, specific um, phantasm reference in the nightmare sequence that i thought was uh directly pulled from don coscarelli yeah and and that's maybe so i'll talk about the stuff let's talk about the stuff we enjoyed first um so yeah so this is a it's it's a pretty straightforward narrative in the sense of an alien comes to earth blah 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 it is a little bit different because children have control over this alien Mm -hmm. um and then what would you do if you're a child and you have control over this alien monster um and so that that's an interesting premise. Like, that's a fun premise. And the gore in this film, uh, you know, it's Spinal Tap. Turn it up to 11. Yes. Uh, they go all out with the gore and the creature design. And, you know, all that stuff is really impressive for a film with a budget that I can't imagine is, is a very large budget. Um, and they managed to do something which I was really impressed with, which is, it's so gory. It's so like to the nth degree gory, but mm. there's really not a lot of language in it. it well, there's not, a lot of frigs. There's a lot of frigs, and 
but they I, I like that they sort of it seemed like intentionally scaled back the language but then just amped the gore up to such an insane level I mean, that is such an American kind of way of looking at exploitation movies, isn't it? Like, this is probably a movie that would not be censored at all on basic cable. Um, but if they had thrown in a few more F-bombs or, God forbid, uh, a boob, yeah, um, that for sure would not have made it. But yeah, lots of uh, death and destruction and uh, uh, the artful deconstruction of the human body. Yeah, and, and some of these creatures, some of the creature designs are really really creative oh my god they were i loved them yeah there's one creature design which is essentially this just this big see-through tub with all these body parts in it that was my favorite one yeah and it just like shoots out blood and it's Mm. just so random and wonderful it it felt like some of the creatures were uh sort of like i what would i say redneck cenobites (laughs) (laughs) okay i buy that yeah and I, I was just really impressed with it. It's not often you see this kind of like very like specific, but also original creature design in a film with a budget this small. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really like what you were coming for. I mean, that was the strongest part of the movie. Um, you know, it's not really a story so much as a series of kind of somewhat disconnected episodes meant as an excuse to show off these impressive practical makeup effects um and the characters aren't really characters so much as they are like kind of joke delivery machines mutable for whatever the movie needs them to be at the time and if but that there's i mean i'm not making a judgment call on that i mean i do have my problems um that we can talk about but yeah if that's what the movie wanted to be it delivered and um i know a lot of people seem to really enjoy this flick uh more than i do and once again i really want to make it clear i do like this movie i had a really good time i watched it twice it was entertaining both times um i think that there was something inherent about the premise and the promise of that premise that made me a little bit disappointed that it didn't go further but um i try to judge a movie on the merits of what it's trying to achieve rather than what i would like it to be and this um, I do believe it achieved what it wanted to be. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't, I think what it was aiming for, it reached. I think my issues were in some of the journey to get to that. And, and we can start kind of mixing it in. I, I, I will say, I, you know, you know where the film's going from the very beginning in the sense of, you know, you start out with this sort of rivalrous brother-sister relationship. That really mm-hmm. kind of is the through line throughout the film. You know where it's going to go, even though sometimes you question whether or not it's going to get there or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie say, itself seems to question that often. Yes. I will say, I a little Mimi goes a long way. See. And <laughs> I had a big problem with that performance. And I don't want to bash on a little girl, because this is a little girl giving this performance. But she played everything like the worst Molly Shannon SNL sketch. And here's where I'm going to disagree in that I loved Mimi. Oh, <laughs> man. Was, I thought this was the Mimi show. Oh. Uh, and yeah, she was so big, but I felt like that's that was the, she's the only one I felt like. Actually, that's not true. That's Everyone felt like they got what movie they were in. So I, I don't want to go down that. She, um, I mean, it was, I mean, it's bizarre and it was big and it was a lot but I just thought it was hilarious. Like from the moment, um, 
there's a moment very early on in the movie when she's getting tucked into bed and uh, her mom refers, they play a game that's basically Calvin ball, but it's um, they call it crazy ball. And the mom calls it kooky ball. And then <laughs> the shot of uh, Mimi's face contorting in uh, absolute disgust before she spits out its crazy ball is so it's not how any human would ever react to anything, but she's doing like this weird Jerry Lewis uh, performance uh, from, I don't know, what is she, like nine years old? I don't know. I, I yeah. really, I thought it was fun. Um, of all the things in the movie that I felt were kind of um, brushing up against each other and didn't really fit into the whole, um, that was the one I forgave the most. Well, I'm glad we found a, a point of, of contention to disagree on. Um, yes, I I tried really hard with her character. And I don't, I, it's, I mean, it was just, I think it was the broadness of it that was the problem for me it, because it was so not human and it was so, so monotone for me throughout the film. Like that performance had no level to it whatsoever. And like, so, and there was, I mean, it was just, she was a monster from the beginning and was a monster all the way through the end. And like, a, like, you know, like played like a psychopath to a large degree. And I just, that monotone nature of it was a problem for me, especially at the end where, you know, it goes exactly where you're leading with this sort of like uh, reconciliation between the brother and sister, which to me was totally void of anything because she'd just been a monster the whole time. So I didn't buy that turnabout for a second. Well, I agree with that completely. There is no arc for this character, but I would not lay that on... Uh, at the fault of uh, this actress whose name I wrote down somewhere. Um, no, I don't Nita blame. I, it's in the script. I mean, from the very beginning, she's uh, uh, when her brother Luke loses this game of crazy ball, she, he has to bury himself. Like that's why they're digging in their backyard um, at the outset when they discover the amulet or the gem or whatever it is that controls Sega Gorman. Um, she's written as a like crazy over the top psychopath from the beginning and yeah this is this is one of my issues with the film is that she has no arc and there's themes that i feel like are there ready to be explored that are not um handled in any real way but again that's the script um she's just matching what she's given to do and sure. she's entertaining and doing it she, uh, she's definitely doing what the script is asking of her in that degree i i will say i do put a lot of the blame on the filmmaker because I, having seen this, having seen The Void, um, and what's, I saw, I've seen another film of his too, Manborg. Um, having seen those films, they all are films to me that are so impressive in terms of effects and, uh, you know, and that sort of thing. But I don't think he knows how to direct actors. I don't think he understands how to get performances out of actors. And that, specifically i think becomes a problem um with child actors if you're if you're a director who doesn't know how to work with children and i think that's where the difference could have come from mimi which is you know she can still be big and she can still be all these things but you can find those little moments of nuance and subtlety to work in there that i feel like a director who knows how to direct actors could have done i just don't think this guy's that yeah um yeah i mean just given the evidence that we have before us then i guess that's probably the conclusion i have to draw um i really thought that she was just a really charismatic 
performer and yeah it was big and it was at times grating but um i nonetheless was just very charmed by well, her i'll tell and, you the um, no, go ahead i was just gonna say the other performance that really stood out to me um it, it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh was adam brooks as yes greg the dad who was entirely <laughs> low-key and understated but um just really uh i mean once again a character that wasn't so much a real person so much as just um a cipher there to deliver whatever joke was needed for the scene but when he did it 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 killed like he has there's a speech near the end um where he talks about this time when he was a kid and the uh, baseball card in the van story the old man invited him uh into his van to look at his baseball card collection and he did and they were in pristine collection and he had a lot of fun and therefore trusting that creepy old man was one of the best <laughs> decisions he ever made. And therefore Mimi, you should trust the creepy old man in your life. Uh, that was genius. Um, he just had like a, a, so many moments that were just very, they, they tickled me. Um, yeah. That I appreciate. And once again, just the complete opposite um, affect from uh, Mimi. Yes. I, he was the highlight of the film for me. And I, I think a lot of what he was doing was, Im, was improvisational. I, I, it seemed like a lot of what he was doing was probably stuff that he just did on the set. And they were like, Oh, we love that. Let's keep that. Or let's do that because he's got so many little moments that I just can't imagine were in the script, but he's also got for me the funniest moment in the film. And I won't spoil it. I'll just say it's him in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. That was yes, my favorite was sequence of the entire film. And mm. And yeah, I think he's just, he's a, I, I, I didn't know anything about him before this, but now I'm like, okay, I'll check out more that this guy does because he made me laugh so much in this film. Yeah. He seems to have been in the uh, directors, a few of yeah. his other movies. They've, uh, I think worked together before. And I, I love, like, I, I do love sort of like the reckless abandon of this film. I mean, like there's a, there's a musical montage with them like playing instruments, which is just kind of out of nowhere. I mean, it's not, it's like a throwback to the eighties. But there are so many little moments like that, that, that I really, even though they don't add anything to the film necessarily in terms of like narrative, they were still so enjoyable to watch. And yeah, well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, that's, that's both the pleasure and the problem with the movie is that it is so full of these individual moments that are um, really fun and they're entertaining. And I like the song and there's that the kind of cliched um, shopping montage uh, and it's all like wacky and it's a, it's a cartoon, but in service of a, a plot, it really, um, it detracts from an actual story. Cause these, once again, these aren't real characters. This is not like a real situation, which is fine. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but I, I think that, you know, once again, I was just a little frustrated that I feel like there you know, there could have been the potential for something that if he, he, they would have just worked a little bit harder to um, create three-dimensional people and uh, some real stakes, then I feel like the the humor um, and the horror and the thrills and the violence would all hit harder because there is um, some real-world grounding that it's um, stemming from as opposed to, like I said, just a live-action cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I do think, yeah, the, the, the character development and, and the narrative arcs are, are just not strong enough to me to make it 
more than just a fun watch, which is fine. I mean, it's totally fine that it's just a fun watch and there's a lot to appreciate about it. Um, but you know, it's one of those films. Would I recommend it to someone who is just looking for a random movie to watch? Probably not. I would probably recommend it to someone who's, you know, a specific fan of this type of thing. Yeah. Um, Um, and I feel like it wouldn't stand out to me as much if there weren't a few kind of 11th hour, um, introductions to some ideas where it seems to be kind of attempting a little bit more depth. Like there is this subplot that's introduced very late in the game involving the parents' marriage where the mom is suddenly super pissed at the dad. She seems to be somewhat kind of like bemused by him throughout and his antics. But by the end, she's like super pissed that he's such a lazy piece of shit and that's a sore spot for him. And so their marriage seems like on the rocks, but it was not really set up in any substantial way and so it just felt very awkward but more importantly um there's a moment early on in that the aforementioned bedroom scene where mimi asks her dad if monsters are real and he replies that actually the real monsters are humans and it's initially played off as a joke like kind of this like why would a dad say such a dark thing um to his child and he's saying it in such a loving way and it's funny but the idea comes back at the end when Luke says it to Mimi as she's seemingly about to bash his head in with some object, which leads me to believe that this was supposed to be kind of a theme. And that's a little frustrating because that would have been great if they would have actually put the work into exploring that because the idea is baked into the very premise of the movie. Uh, PG or Psycho Gorman is ostensibly evil incarnate, but we learn at the um, we learn he began as a slave rebelling against the oppressive uh, Templars. Uh, and now he's enslaved again, this time by a cute little girl. Um, and I would have, this goes back to the idea of an arc where if we maybe would have seen her as less of such a broad kind of, uh, villain from the beginning. Um, and someone who has now been, um, uh, given this, the, the power of the most evil, powerful, powerful creature in the universe and see how that corrupts her and also see, um, PG, uh, humbled and humiliated by being enslaved once again. I just feel like there was um, there was a depth that was there inherent in the idea that was just ignored in favor of uh, like a wacky shopping montages, um, which once, once again, I really want to emphasize, I enjoyed them. Like I enjoyed those montages, but um, I just feel like there was so much more there uh, that could have been explored and it's just a shame or it's, it's, it's somewhat disappointing um, that that's the direction that they went with. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you just said. And I, I, I felt like this is a 95 minute movie mm-hmm. and there's only so much wackiness a brain can take. Um, I, I mean, I felt like for a 95 minute movie, it could have been 10, even 15 minutes shorter. There are some scenes and like there's a scene at the end of this film that might be one of the most unnecessary, useless scenes I've seen in a movie. And it's this random scene where Mimi goes into this room with a cross in it. And there's this weird like two minute sequence about religion, which has nothing to do with anything. No, and, but I yeah, keep going. Sorry. I didn't laugh once in it. And the whole time I'm thinking, why is this here? Like, why are we going to this? Like, it just it just made no sense whatsoever to me why that was put in the film or what was left in and like 
Chim that I agree with 95 you. minutes. <laughs> I agree with you that it wasn't necessary, but once again, that was one of the scenes I actually liked. I oh. thought it was just uh, hilarious um, that she's like has this. Uh, uh, um, I mean, it is stupid. It's completely unnecessary. It's happening in like the third act of the movie. Like maybe we can just get to some story. But if that's the movie that we're watching, I will just explain my appreciation for the scene where she sits in front of a crucifix and she talks to God, but it's all about. Um, she has the question that she has is what sunglasses should she wear? And then uh, after she, she already knows the answer. And then she's basically like, fuck you, God, like psycho Gorban's the only God that matters. And then she breaks the crucifix. Um, I just thought that was a delightfully profane, um, even if completely unnecessary. Yeah. Um, I felt I like, really, I also really appreciated um, this movie's obvious disdain for uh, law enforcement. Um, I thought that was a, uh, uh, that was fun. That was yeah. Cheeky. That was fun. I I will say about the religion thing though. What it felt like to me was is the filmmaker got there, got towards the end of the film, and was like, "Oh, you know what? We've we've kind of made fun and been mean to everything else, but we haven't really touched religion. So let's just throw this in there so we can piss on religion with everything else." It felt mm-hmm. so kind of tacked on and lazy to me. And and I don't know. I, again, it's like I think I think our biggest divide here is that we just came from two very different directions on that little girl's performance. <laughs> and, and that kind of colored everything in the film for me to some extent. Um, even the parts where I really enjoyed, like I enjoy the little side plot she has where she's like objectifying this like nine year old boy and like making him spin for her. And she's like, obviously got this crush on him and I won't spoil what happens to the little boy. Cause it's kind of a delightful side plot. Mm-hmm. But um, I like some of the stuff with Mimi um i i I just oh it was just so much of her and and it yeah it just boy it wore me down (laughs) yeah um the wackiness is like it just it steadfastly refuses to take itself seriously in the slightest for better or for worse and it hangs a lantern on every plot contrivance which is you know it can be funny everything about this is like i think we're in agreement all these like individual moments are funny and delightful and great on their own it's just it's a it's a a mosaic that gets a little exhausting like if you like from the very first moment when um they dig the hole in the backyard and they find the i don't even know what you would call it the the prison or the gem or whatever that is keeping psycho gorman uh imprisoned and maybe just happens to guess the code the very first time she puts it in they're like oh how lucky um and that's that's fun but moments like that keep happening and they keep like there's the um, there's the fight scene in the woods with all like with the the guy that you mentioned the tub of gore or whatever um that's like fun because like all the character designs are great but it does go on forever and at one point um luke turns to mimi's like is this no is this still going on and the dream sequence like the the phantasm reference um the end the scene basically ends with luke saying like what happens now and he's like we well we wait for your dream to be over um it's just it's this moment that keeps they keep hitting on it and that's fine but at a certain point you sort of would like to like rather than just point out that you're doing something stupid just not do the stupid thing and like just try a little harder yeah um but that said, I, 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 anytime I feel like I'm being too mean to this movie, I did like I want to apologize. But yeah, it, it, that's the thing. It it um, it engenders a lot of goodwill, and I think that goes a long way. Yeah, I, I agree. I like I, I enjoyed it too. I, I, w- I would say this. I would say 
going into this film, this film had everything required to be like a four star movie for me. Definitely. If it was if it was com- executed the way it needed to be, everything fell into place. It, it just from the premise alone, At, as it stands, I'm in like the two and a half range. Uh, just because primarily because that performance did not work for me and Mm -hmm. because of kind of the sloppy narrative. Um, but I had a blast watching it like from beginning to end, I laughed a lot. Like I was constantly impressed with how inventive they were being. And so, you know, I feel a little weird saying I'm giving it two and a half stars, but you know, I, I, I still enjoyed it. It was a two and a half star film that I thoroughly enjoyed. Right. Well, that goes back to what I was saying is where I try to judge it on what it is rather than what I want it to be. But like, truthfully, like, as I said, I was really excited to see this. Um, I, I just, I mean, you're a little bit older than me, but I think we both probably had a somewhat similar um, relationship with shows like Power Rangers or The Masked Rider or Ultraman or VR Troopers. I especially loved a show called Big Bad Beetleborgs. Um, I'm not sure if anyone still did you watch any of these shows like was this uh, uh, I watched I watched Power Rangers right yeah um yeah I mean there's a real uh Power Rangers the movie vibe uh Ivan Ooze is a lot like Psycho Goreman not just in color scheme but um yeah so I was like very excited and eager to see this subversive horror movie take on this genre and so I just, I, yeah, I went in with high expectations and it just was not the movie I expected to be. And that's okay. Sometimes that happens. Yeah, um, it absolutely is. And, you know, a lot of people out there are loving this film. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you have just heard Chris and I rant about this film and you think that you might enjoy it, uh, you can currently purchase it for on VOD right now. It's not very much. I think it's like five bucks or something like that. And if you want to wait till it drops on Shutter, it drops on Shutter, I believe in June. It's definitely this summer, but I think it drops in June. You can check it out there. Um, I, I think you know the folks who are going to be listening to this are probably going to be the right audience for it. So I think it's we're definitely recommending it. It's certainly an enjoyable ninety-five minutes. Um, so definitely check it out. And uh, right now we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. And then Chris and I are going to come back and talk about the films that we think inspired it. So uh, here's a word from Anchor. Now's the time when Chris and I curate for you your very own movie mixtape, all based around the film we just discussed, Psycho Goreman. These are films we believe could have, should have, or did in fact inspire the film. And only the filmmaker knows if we're right. Uh, that's a pretty lofty uh, goal for us is to create a 15 hour movie mixtape that folks can watch. Yeah, it's um, it's honorable for us to take this on. It's quite the responsibility. Do you think you would ever watch a 15 hour block of films? No, you would never. No. Okay, so we're creating. People, like, some... talk about, like, I remember, like, when Buttonomathon was a thing, and people do these, like, all, like Marvel movie marathons. It's it's madness. Why would you do that to yourself? I mean, why would you want to be in a theater with uh, a scumbag like Harry Knowles anyway? Exactly. Not just Harry Knowles, but the farts alone in that place. Ugh. with that diet that people are eating when you're oh. in a movie theater for that long. Oh my god. No. I, I, Count I me will... out. I won't get into the type of person that I imagine to be at events like that, uh, just because I don't want to offend any potential listeners. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I, I I have done. I mean, I, I've done like all six Star Wars back to back to back to back to back. 
Yeah, um, well, okay. I mean, so, I've done them in the privacy of my own home. Sure. Well, this is what that would be for. It would be for, let's say someone wakes up on a random Saturday and you're like, you know what? I just feel like crazy fucking gore today. And then they can go on Letterboxd and they can see the films that we're putting on this mixtape and they'd be like, you know what? I'm going to watch these goddamn movies until the sun goes down. Fair enough. I'm pining for um, a reality where I can go to the movie theater. So that's automatically what I assumed you were talking about. But yes, I, I, that I understand. I, I've been depressed before, Billy. I, I have done that. <laughs> well, good. Good. Okay. Well, this is for all the depressed people out there. Um, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> um, so... I, the the way that I do this, and you may have a different method, so far everybody's kind of been on the same page, but when I'm watching the film, I sort of just jot down any movie that pops into my head. Yeah. And then I usually have a pretty substantial list, and then I sort of call those down based on a lot of factors. A lot of it being, you know, does this film have any sort of connection, whether it's, you know, direct or, or not, and does it evoke any of the same feelings, or is it a film that just has a loose connection, but it's kind of a you know, undiscovered film that I think people should know about. So many different things go into this. How is your process different, if at all? Uh, no, that was, um, that's pretty spot on. I had a list. I have three that I narrowed it down to, and I'm really dreading the idea that you have picked one of these. Um, I could pivot and go to one of my other ones, but I have not, um, you know, written down any of my notes on uh, one of my other picks. But yeah, I have three that um, one's a pretty esoteric choice. Um, one is more tonal. And then one, I the moment I heard about this movie, I immediately thought of. And um, I doubt that you have thought of this one as well, but that's the one I'm terrified that you um, have written down. So we'll find out together. Yeah, I, I have similar choices. I think our choices are similar in, in terms of tone. Not, I, I don't think we've yet I've yet to have a crossover pick with anybody. It will happen eventually. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, so I, I think we'll be okay in that department. Um, but you know, you're fortunate enough that I go first, so you get to hear my choices ahead of time. And so if we do have crossover, you can always just make that not happen. Cool. All right. I am bizarrely nervous about this. So go um, ahead. Okay. Get well. Over with. Um, so anybody who is familiar with my appearances on screen drafts will not be surprised by this pick. And this is a pick that is certainly more, I would say, in terms of spirit and tone to Psycho Gorman, which is why I put it on here. And it also deals with kids. And it is the 2020 uh, Canadian film, I Declare War, uh, which okay. is which is a film about a group of kids who uh, are engaged in this very intense uh, game of capture the flag. And uh, one of the really creative things that the filmmakers do is that when the kids are playing and they're in their imaginations, their fake guns become real guns and the stakes are even amped up even higher in sort of that, that pseudo imaginary world. And what really works about this film is these kids are just fantastic. Like, these are all first-time actors. I can't say that I've seen any of these kids in anything else since. And they're just so perfect because they just feel like kids. And they're of different age ranges and, and you know, girls and boys and, and different ethnicities. And, like, it's such a nice melting pot of kids. When I believe this was shot in... I want to say this was shot in Austin, uh, but it, it, it's just, 
the kids really sell this and, and the creative stuff that the filmmakers do, Jason Lepierre and Robert Wilson. Um, I just, I would love this film when it came out. It, it, it didn't do, a, I think it was one of the first films picked up by draft house uh, for release and, and it didn't do, you know, huge business, but I, every time I turn someone onto this film, they just start raving about it. So I, if no one is familiar with it, I hope they'll check it out. And, it, to me, it had the same energy as this. It's it's about kids and sort of these dangerous situations, and and the energy of some of the the kid performances were similar, and just the energy of the overall film. So I declare war. Uh, it's a film I love, and I think it would be a good companion piece to this, minus the gore. Uh, very cool. I have not seen this movie. I have heard you talk about it before. I am invested in rectifying that, so I am adding it to my letterboxed watch list as we speak um but yeah it sounds like a real delight it is i um i see the association yeah it is it is a delight and again it's not gory or anything like psycho gore man this is a much different kind of film in terms of that um but it still does have some violence and and it and it is certainly uh it's certainly not a movie that you would just show any kid it's not that kind of like it, it's definitely has that eighties throwback kids in danger feel to it. So uh, right, and I want to make one correction real quick because I, unless I misheard you, I think you said the twenty twenty movie. I declare war. No, twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. I think you just misheard me, Chris. God damn it! I think you failed. But you can redeem yourself with your first pick. You're lucky this is not a video because I am making a stinky face at you. Um, <laughs> I can sense so. It. My uh, first pick, this is my more esoteric one. Um, I don't even know how to describe this movie, but this is a, a movie. It's called Boxer's Omen or The Boxer's Omen. It is a Shaw Brothers movie. Um, I should probably look up when it came out sometime in the 80s, whatever. Um, this movie's fucking insane. I, uh, I saw it at the uh, now, the once beloved, now disgraced um, silent movie theater and uh, West Hollywood, um, when it was called Cine Family, they did a Shaw Brothers um, retrospective, and uh, this one really intrigued me. And I went in blind, and I came out, I think, blind, or I don't know. I have a third eye now, and uh, so I'll, I'll try to describe the plot. It is ostensibly about a Hong Kong boxer whose brother gets. Uh, basically mutilated, mutilated in a boxing match with a um, uh, uh, another boxer in Thailand, and he is he sets out to avenge him. But in this shaggy dog tale, uh, he is also plagued by visions of a Buddhist monk that then reveals himself to be, I think, his twin brother from a past life, and he is dying because of uh, a sorcerer like poisoned him or something and now if he dies then the uh the the boxer will die and so that boxer now has to train himself in uh buddhism so that he could have these weird psychic magic showdowns with this dark sorcerer um that's it in terms of plot but what it really is is just a parade of hallucinatory uh, just absolute insanity. Um, some of the most bizarre images I've ever seen put to film um, in the are just extended sequences of these uh, two magicians just kind of going at each other um, with like 
just a, a quick checklist. There's um, a, a, an army of uh, crocodile skulls that are being controlled by bats. And uh, at one point, the sorcerer's head pops off of his shoulders and entangles the, uh, the boxer's head in all his entrails. Um, uh, just a, a myriad of blobs that are just you know, doing their blobby things. Um, the color scheme is very similar to Psychic Gorman, which is another uh, reason I thought of it. A lot of the, the the pinks and the purples and blues and deep greens. There's a man whose flesh melts in these giant bubbles that he has to pop. Um, I really, it's a, it's a movie that has to be uh, experienced um, rather than described. So on that note, I will shut the hell up. Um, but if you can find it, Boxer's Omen. It's not a pleasant watch, but it is something you will certainly never forget. Wow. Um, I have heard of this film. I have never seen it. I, I'm, I am shamefully uh, unfamiliar with the Shaw Brothers and their work. Um, this is a film that I've heard of uh, just in terms of reputation and mm-hmm. because of how crazy it is. Yes, um, its reputation very much does proceed it and oh so just to make the real it like i said it's a very esoteric connection but just the um, the scenes in psycho Gorman that are just the the craziest when he's using his powers when he um turns that one um i don't know petty thief it seemed like into uh, a, a, a zombie that get, then explodes um with a really great effect with his eyes like rolling continuously back in his head um I just I, I I was immediately conjured up the kind of bro- go for broken sanity of uh, Boxer's Omen. Yeah, I I this certainly sounds like it would be a great companion piece with uh, with Psycho Gorman. Now I want to see this film, but I, I I I'm guessing it's difficult to find. I have a DVD that I can lend you next time we see each other. Okay, well that that's good, and I can also lend you I Declare War. Very much appreciated. Yes, look at us. We can just make a swap. Look at how we're making it happen. This is a great choice. Great choice. I like it when people choose films I haven't seen. It didn't happen for the first. I don't know if I don't think it happened for the first three episodes. And uh, so yeah, I like I like that. I like that. Good job. Good job, Chris. Something to hold over uh, Clark and Graham. That's right. Um, Well, I am going to be traveling from Hong Kong to the country of Japan for my next choice. Um, a lot of Psycho Goreman felt very sort of, uh, Clive Barkery, David Cronenberger. It, it just had a lot of those influences meshed in. Mm-hmm. And so the, one of the films that popped into my head is from 1989 and it is the body horror, fl- horror flick Tetsuo the Iron Man. Ah, good choice. And Tetsuo the Iron Man is a film about a metal fetishist who um, is accidentally uh, hit uh, by a Japanese businessman uh, with his car, and they dispose of the body. And the businessman uh, starts uh, his his flesh starts turning into uh, iron, um, and, which is something that the metal fetishist was, of course, obsessed with, and. Um, the body horror elements of this are some of the most striking I've, I've ever seen in a film. Uh, if this was a screen drafts episode and we were drafting body horror films, it would be hard for me not to put this at probably number one. Um, there's just something really disturbing and dreamlike about this film. And it, it's almost got a dark city quality to me and, and, and how it just doesn't mm-hmm. even feel like reality. It has this sort of feathery feel to it. Um, 
And it was one of the first films I thought of while watching Psycho Gorman, strictly for the body horror stuff and and the gore and the way that's presented. This film, it ha- this film does have a weird, dark, dark sense of humor that runs through it, but it's really subtle. Um, you know, a lot of people compare this to Lynch. I, I to me, it's far more Cronenberg than it is Lynch. Mm-hmm. But I see the comparisons. Yeah, um, I mean, that black and white photography is very yeah. early Lynch. It's also a short film. It's barely over an hour. Uh, so it, it's very tight. There's not a, there, there's no extra meat on the bone here. And um, it, it's a, yeah, it's a film that I really, really enjoy. I also really enjoy uh, – there was a sequel a few years later, uh, Tetsuo 2, Body Hammer. And I actually really enjoy that one too. I, 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 think, it, I think it's a really good film. And I, I don't often get into a lot of Japanese cinema – it is it is Japanese horror in general is not something I've ever really clung on to. Uh, but this is a film that I saw years and years ago and, and, and really, really enjoyed. I haven't seen it in a long time, but uh, I have vivid memories of it. Yeah, this is a movie I haven't seen since college. I took a horror class, which was basically just a, a four hour class uh, every Wednesday evening that almost everybody went too high. But that was great. Um, best class I ever took. Um, and this was definitely um, one of the standout experiences of that. Um, I don't remember more than just, yeah, it's like this nightmare that I had that I'm trying to recall. But um, I think it's pretty available on most kind of, it's very easy to find. So yes. I'm taking yes. this as um, the excuse to go back to that well. I have not seen the sequel, but um that's a good title. What was it? Body Hammer. Body Hammer. Yeah. Good title. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a, it's a disturbing little film. It's it's got cringy moments in it, which you know, if you're not a gore person, I mean, so does Psycho Gore Man. I mean, it's and um, and and there, it's one of the most disturbing use of maggots ever in film. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing about the difference is, I mean, if I remember correctly, I mean, the violence in um, Tetsuo. Uh, feels painful because it feels like it's happening to real people. Whereas um, nothing in Psycho Gorman actually feels like it would actually hurt. It's so disconnected from reality. Once again, for better or for worse, depending on how you want to look at it. Of all the gore in Psycho Gorman, the only moment that made me really cringe was when uh, the dad like breaks the arm arm at the end. And I was like, ah, that that seemed real. That seemed like it was was actual pain. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's a, that's really good. Um, I'm, I'm excited to go back to this movie. I haven't thought about it in a long time, but that's, um, yeah, that's pretty spot on. Uh, well, it's time for your second choice, Chris. Okay, so this one is more in tone and aesthetic because one of the things that stood out to me the most about Psycho Gorman was the very specific um, sense of humor, that cartoonish, anarchic, every joke is on the table, especially the gross ones kind of vibe that reminded me so much of kind of the over the top comedies of the nineties. Um, so between that and the very practical effect creature designs, I couldn't help but recall the film freaked freaked, which is a, it was co-written co-directed and starring Alex winter of lost boys and bill and Ted fame. Um, Alex plays a young actor named Ricky Coogan who takes a gig endorsing a toxic fertilizer uh, and that job takes him to South America where he goes to a freak show run by the very stable genius Randy Quaid. Um, You don't need me to tell you that obviously Randy turns them and Ricky and his friends into uh, hideous mutant freaks and makes them perform in his show. 
Um, as I said, the movie feels very much like a live action cartoon. Uh, it's bright and colorful and Brechtian in its production design, um, which is just like Psycho Gorman. It's populated with characters in elaborate, very off-putting makeup, um, which also, um, when I was thinking about it, reminds me a lot of the the Basket Case sequels, uh, the Frank Handelotter movies um, that I always just kind of combine these two in my, uh, in my memories. Um, so uh, yeah, it has that same kind of go for broke manic energy you get in like soccer movies as well as the more, it, I mean, it's, it has more imagination than almost any comedy, uh, any modern comedy uh, is going to give you. And they both have this vibe that, uh, I mean, I saw Freaked initially really late at night, I think on like the USA channel back when it was, um, you know, when it still had like Joe Bob and, stuff like that. And it was the kind of movie that's uh, that it, like Tammy and the T-Rex was another one. Um, I think I saw in the same situation where um, you see it like 2 AM, you're not supposed to be up and you just see this movie that is like, basically, I mean, it's in, um, in what am I trying to say here? They are basically kids movies. Um, like the, they're uh, the way they, um, there's a word here I'm searching for, so I'm just going to give up. Uh, but they're uh, they they're very much have a, a kids movie mentality. But they, because they're so there's a, a, a naughtiness to them, which honestly makes them even more appealing to uh, a, a childlike sensibility. It feels like you're getting away from something with something. And seeing these like violent, disturbing, still kind of hilarious uh, uh, cartoons at like 3 a.m when you're delirious is I think the perfect way to watch them, which is why I think like Seiko Gorman is like perfectly designed. Um, I mean, we don't really have like late night cable discoveries anymore, which is a shame. Um, but it's the movie that would have uh, been its best self discovered in that way. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a film. I loved this film as a kid. I can't, I can't say that I've seen it probably in 25 years but i it's watched it for free on youtube yeah i watched it maybe probably 20 times when i was a kid because it used to come on h not hbo showtime i think mm. and then it used to you know it was on usa and the, I, I rented the vhs as well and love this film never once thought about this film watching but it's a perfect choice um it's probably totally the most in line with psycho gourmet definitely um, yeah. it, it has that feel to it. I mean, and let's not forget, this has Mr. T as the bearded lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait is a character that I think is called Sockhead. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the best gags of the movie is he's like a, he's like a sock puppet. with I mean, like he's like a, a normal body with a sock, pu- sock puppet head. And then during one of the freak shows, the sock gets caught on the microphone revealing a, like a hand on top of his head. And everyone in the theater is feels like they've been ripped off they're like it's not even a real sock yeah um that's genius yes it's a great cast it's a great cast it's a really funny film um i'm really embarrassed and jealous that i didn't think of it (laughs) and choose it so that's unfortunate because i feel like you've now this isn't a competition obviously but i feel like you firmly beat me so far Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's difficult to uh, to announce to the world. Yeah, this is why you haven't invited me to uh, uh, be on another screen dress with you, because you know uh, I was weak the first time, but now I'm at full strength. Um, uh, I feel like that's Clay Keller's fault, and he needs to jump on that and make that happen. Um, I kid, I kid. 
Okay, uh, that was great. Uh, I have been humiliated, and now I have thoroughly humiliated. And now I have my final choice, which the very first thing that popped into my head was a general thing, which was this feels very trauma. Okay. Okay. And um, and so I thought, and there are obviously Toxic Avenger was a big inspiration for this film. Mm -hmm. That's not the film I went with. I went with this film because I think it has that same energy as Toxic Avenger. I think it suffers from the same issues as Psycho Gorman in terms of narrative and tangents that don't need to be there. But I also think the fight sequences were so reminiscent of this film to me. And it is a trauma film from 1990. It is Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. Mm, Classic. and is a film about a detective who is investigating these uh, murders of these kabuki actors. And when one of the kabuki actors is dying, uh, he kisses the detective, the kiss the detective, and the detective is blessed with the powers of kabuki. <laughs> and uh, begin, begins, he's a, a slapstick superhero who starts trying to clean up the streets of New York. And this movie is just fucking ridiculous. From beginning to end, it is classic trauma. The gore is so heightened and over the top. The violence, that is, is so over the top. Uh, The fight sequences in this film are so over the top and elaborate in a really lo-fi way, which is exactly what I felt here, felt with Psycho Goreman. And um, there's just this slapstick element to this film that runs throughout Psycho Goreman. And uh, and it real this film really to me just sort of embodies what trauma is and certainly was in the late '80s, early '90s. And you know, Psycho Goreman is a is the love child of multiple trauma films, so it was going to be impossible for me not to include one on this list. It was just deciding which one to go with, and I went with the one that I loved the most as a kid. It's probably not one of my favorites as an adult. But it was one of my favorites as a kid, and it is one that I think most feels like Psycho Goreman to me. Um, that's, a, that's a really good answer. For whatever reason, I did not think of trauma at all when I was watching this, and yet it's so obvious in retrospect. Um, I love trauma, or I love, I mean, I feel like every young uh, uh, horror adjacent cinephile um, goes through their trauma phase. Um, Mine was definitely, my era was the Tromeo and Juliet, Terror Firmer, um, Toxic Avenger 4 uh, era, but Sergeant Kabuki Man was definitely one that I um, went back later and uh, watched and loved for what it is. Um, I saw Lloyd Kaufman on the street um, about a year ago, uh, just walking through Bushwick. Um, that's neither here nor there. That's just, a, it's a thing that happened. It's not a good story. It's just accurate. It's factual. um but uh yeah that's that's a that's a good one um yes definitely the the low low budget um just doing it anyway uh energy is definitely on display in psycho gorman and that's the i mean it's the seeing the seams is the appeal of movies like this and um yeah nailed it billy you redeemed yourself well, thank you. But also, one good thing, one cool thing too about watching the trauma films is, trauma is notorious for using footage from 
films multiple times. And yeah, well, and, that that car crash is from Kabuki Man, right? Yeah, the Tromeo. There's a car crash in Tromeo and Juliet that is the exact same sequence from Sergeant Kabuki Man. They just yeah, and in um, I forget, I forget the fourth Toxic Avenger. Is it um, Citizen Toxie? Yeah, Citizen Toxie. Yeah, um, yeah, they use that there as well. I mean, that's what I love. I mean, I I mean, I read a my mom, bless her heart, gave me a uh, a book, Make Your Own Damn Movie, um, written by Lloyd Kaufman and um. Trent Haga, is that how you say his name? Um, that I saw before, I mean, that I read before I had watched any of those movies. And it really kind of uh, instilled a love for the process of making movies that has actually, um, that I don't actually have anymore. Uh, I'm a writer, so I don't have to go through the, the pain hell of actually making a movie. But um, <laughs> at the time, I, I thought it was very uh, romanticized. And so the, like, the making of special features um, that were basically longer than the features themselves that were on the DVDs were a really precious item to me. Um, yeah, I, I, I love trauma. Um, I haven't rewatched any of those movies in a really long time, but again, just uh, uh, like everything else, this is going to be inspiration. I, you know what? I am going to do this movie mixtape. Damn it. There we go. Well, let's pick the same day and we'll do it together. All right. Sounds good. Um, okay. So uh, I've, I've made up some ground after my uh, horrific defeat on Freight. So what are you closing us out with? Uh, yeah, so this is the one that, I mean, I guess in retrospect, this was very specific to me. But to me, it was such an obvious, um, such an obvious pick that I couldn't help but just imagine that you had done so as well. Um, for my third pick, I am picking a movie that um, I truly loved as a child. Um, and later went on to work for quite some time um, for one of the producers. Uh, and that movie is Star Kid from 1997. Um, Star Kid is a movie that, like I said, I, I loved it as a child. And then um, I assumed it would be terrible as an adult. So a few years ago, I think I um, was when I still lived in L.A., uh, I, I think I saw a copy of it at Amoeba. So I bought it with the intention of inviting some friends over. We were going to drink some beers and just, you know, tear it to shreds. Um, but then I discovered, much to my chagrin, that Starkid actually fucking rocks. Um, it's written and directed uh, by this guy, Manny Cotto. I'm, I, I never know if I'm pronouncing his name right. But um, I guess he has gone on to have a pretty successful television career, but I will always know him uh, for a Dr. Giggles. Yep. Um, so Starkid is the story of a kid named Spencer Griffith, played by a young Joseph uh, Mazzello, who I always get confused with Bug Hall, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Spencer is your classic bullied sad boy. He reads comic books and collects action figures. So, of course, he's a target for the local tough. Uh, his mom recently died. His sister can't stand him and his dad has to work all the time. So he's just a really lonely little guy. Um, but that all changes uh, one night when Spencer sees something fall from the sky and land in a junkyard and he follows it and he finds an alien warrior cyber suit that he calls Psy. Uh, Psy can talk, but it is meant to be uh, piloted. Um, so Spencer climbs aside and, you know, we're, we're off to the races. Uh, the suit gives him super strength and the ability to leap tall stacks of cars in a single bound. Um, but in a move that was extremely prescient uh, for the time that we find ourselves in, 
Uh, one of the first things this comic book geek does when he gets some semblance of power is to turn into a bully himself. He goes and finds uh, his bully named Turbo and uh, scares the hell out of him and makes him feel like the little guy. Um, but of course he realizes that this is not what you're supposed to be doing. He later saves the girl that he has a crush on and he realizes that, um, you know, saving people is a lot better than, uh, than scaring them. Um, but the relationship with the bully, uh, is one of the best parts of the movie, um, which is, I think, profoundly empathetic in a way that I was not expecting rewatching it. Um, we see that, uh, the bully is like basically being abused by his asshole dad. And, you know, that's why he's such a little prick himself. But by the movie's end, he and Spencer are best friends and they help each other in the climax and they help, uh, save the day. And that's, just, yeah, that's, that's pretty swell if you ask me. Um, Anyway, so of course, there's a lot of trials and tribulations. There's wish fulfillment and lessons learned. Um, a hostile alien called the Brood Warrior follows Psy to Earth. Uh, and Spencer has to uh, learn that, you know, being a hero isn't about size and strength, but about bravery and doing the right thing when it's hardest to do so. Um, and of course, this, none of this is revolutionary. Um, it's not reinventing the wheel. But, you know, these are important lessons nonetheless, and it's executed splendidly. The script is tight. There's setups and payoffs. Uh, there's not a wasted moment. Um, it's just, it's delightful. It's touching. Uh, it's basically the perfect kids movie. And if the right cable channel would have acquired this, I guarantee it'd be a classic. But it's not. Uh, no one really knows this movie. Um which is bizarre to me. It's just, it's really very solidly good. And um, I highly recommend it. Um, you will be pleased to know that I did think of Star Kid when I was watching this. Okay. But um, you didn't say it. I, that's did, all that I did not go with it, but it was on my list. Uh, th like you, this is a film that I really enjoyed uh, when I was younger. I'm a little bit older than you, so I was already a little jaded about stuff like this when it came out. Mm -hmm. but I still really enjoyed it. And I was a, I was a Joseph Mazzello fan and I was all, I'm also a Manny Cotto fan. Cause like you, I adore Dr. Giggles. Um, yeah, yeah this is a really well-made film and it's a really, really well-made. Yeah. It's really well-made. It's really fun. And I agree. I feel like this film has just never gotten the breaks it needed to be a classic. Mm -hmm. And it's not one of those films that they played on HBO or Showtime nonstop no. like they did some of these other films. And like, and it just, and you know, it's a film from one of my, in the 1990s, if you were a kid my age, nothing meant more to you than that Trimark logo at the beginning of a film. Mm -hmm. That was, they were such a great company, you know, besides Warlock and Leprechaun and all those films, like they were just doing such cool stuff if you were a kid. And they also this, did happiness. Yes, or released it anyway. They did. They did happiness. They did Bombbox kicking first, and screaming. Yeah, Bombbox yeah. first film. I mean, at Eve's Bayou, like so many great films. Yeah. And well, so did you? But did you know I worked for Mark Amin of Trimark for like seven years? I did. Winnikoff. Yeah. So they I, I, went on to um, Mark sold Trimark to Lionsgate in the early '90s, and then he started um, Sobini Films, which is where I worked basically the entire time I was living in LA trying to be a writer. Um, and yeah, I, these are people I know, uh, very well. Um, and also I've been to Mark's house and I can tell you those, uh, those movies paid off. They paid off. Well, I, uh, I can he, imagine. So. Picasso. Oh, well, well, that usually means that something's paid off. Well, 
Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, I this is a great choice. I, I, I said, like I said, I, I did write this down. This was one that popped into my head, but and and I didn't, I didn't not include it because I thought you were going to play it. I just it, it didn't make my, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it does line up a lot with with Psycho Gourmet. It, it is, it is kind of a perfect kids film though. It's yeah, um, I mean, it's the kind of movie that I thought that Psycho Gourmet was going to be sub, a little bit more directly subverting. Yeah, yeah, that make that makes sense. That makes sense. But there are, I mean, like I said, I mean, there are things that I kind of talked about that maybe, um, maybe this isn't fair, but the things that I wanted from Psycho Gorman were actually addressed in um, Starkid. Like I said, like he went, the first thing he does is torments his bully, um, and you know, once again, it's not like the, this isn't mind blowing stuff, but the, as for a kids movie, like the idea of like the the villain. Um, the, or the person that you think is the villain is actually a, a complex uh, individual going through their own shit themselves. Um, and to see them and uh, respond to them with empathy, uh, that is, that's nice. It's a nice little lesson. Um, yeah, like I said, it's just, it's it's the perfect, I have a nephew, I can't wait to show him this movie. Well, you know, I also wonder, this is one of those instances where I believe the title was changed at the last minute. And because it, it was yeah. originally called The Warrior of Waverly Street, and then they mm-hmm. switched it to Starkid, I wonder, I feel like the film would have done better with a lot of these films if they just kept their original goddamn title. Yeah, Warrior um, Waverly Street. That's that's fun. That's that's a more interesting that sounds title. Action packed. Starkid, I mean, I remember even before Starkid, like before I saw it, I saw the trailer, and it was 1997. Like I was in, like, what, third grade? Like even then, I imagine, I remember thinking, like, seems like it might be for babies. <laughs> Um, but then I rented it um, at a sleepover with my friend Nate um, and just fell in love with it. It was just, it's a lot more complex and um, adult than you'd expect. And also I rewatched it and uh, remember that Danny Masterson is in it. Um, oh, that, now, that piece of shit. Beyond going to be like a true, true villain. It just made me like, remember, man, this guy was so fucking typecast as the shitty boyfriend who most likely got, often got beat up um outside a suburban house because he's in this he's playing that role in starkid uh uh chloe and i just watched face off where he gets um his ass kicked um in front of a uh, house the house by uh, john travolta he's in Beethoven 2 playing basically that same role like this guy it was just known as the shitty boyfriend and he ended up being a, a, a an even worse version of that archetype in real life and i also want to just run down uh, really quickly, Joseph Mazzello's 90s, because he did Radio Flyer, Jurassic Park, River Wild, The Cure, Three Wishes, Lost World, Star Kid, Simon Birch. Like, Simon he, Birch. Yeah, he had such an amazing 90s, and you rarely hear him anymore sort of talked about in the same level as like your Elijah Woods and your Macaulay Culkins and like all these other kid actors. And like, he was in as many, if not more. <laughs> like great 90s films than they were yeah and if you get him confused with bug hall he's also in little rascals is he in little rascals no no bug oh okay hall oh right right right, 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 right. A very similar vibe and I, I often have to remind myself that they are not the same person i have never gotten him confused with bug hall well you know what billy congratulations yeah i i, I feel like i'm that a is guest a- on your podcast and you're this is how you're making me feel i just want to shame you for a little while since you picked freaked and i did it um cool. Well, that's that's our movie mixtape. You're going to start out with Psycho Goreman. You're going to move on to I Declare War. Then it's The Brothers Omen. Then it's Tetsuo, Iron Man, Freaked, Sergeant Kabuki Man, 
and you're going to close out with Starkid. There's a horribly paced marathon. Um, also, I should point out it's the Boxers Omen. Oh, I said the Brothers Omen. Omen. That's my mm-hmm. that's my bad. I yeah, so maybe you did Omen. say uh, I Declare War came out in 2020. No, I'm pretty sure I said 2012, but thanks for the mm-hmm. tip. Um, <laughs> okay, now if I go back and listen and I said 2020, uh, I'm just going to edit all that out. You motherfucker. I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, that seems like a pretty uh, weird 15 hours of movie watching. It won't even be 15 hours because Tetsuo is only an hour and Freak's pretty yeah, short. I feel uh, good about be, that. Yeah, it'll be a much shorter uh, movie binge. Uh, but I think it's a worthwhile one. Um, and all of that came from Psycho Gorman. Look at that. Who'd have thunk it? I certainly wouldn't have. Um, so what were some, what were, let's talk about some titles, uh, that maybe we didn't, that didn't make our final three that we thought about. I'll start off with that. Here are some titles, obviously the monster squad. Uh, I mean, from the opening narration to the ambulance, to the kids and the, like, it just, if that wasn't one of the three biggest inspirations for this film, then, you know, smack me in the ass. Um, I went with critters. I went with critters. Uh, House 2, the second story. Mm. More in terms of just pure insanity. Um, I went with the original Clash of the Titans. Uh, and I went with Bubba Hotep. Mm. And, yeah. and I did write down Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Yeah, um, my list uh, was not as long as that, but and I touched on some of them. But yeah, definitely Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, which is... I haven't rewatched it recently, but I feel like it holds up. Like I was watching the trailer. I'm like, this is a, this is a fun movie. It's a well-made um, little movie. I think it is. Yeah. Ivan Ooze is a great character. Yeah. Um, and, but there's a moment like in the initial uh, crazy ball sequence that opens the psycho Goreman, the guitar riff that's happening. I'm just like, Oh yeah, this is blatantly mighty Morphin power Rangers. Um, similar vein. I also had Guyver. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is, the same kind of you know it's people in rubber suits fighting each other but it's a little bit more violent uh, or maybe a lot more violent i don't know it's been a long time i only ever saw some faded vhs that i rented a few times from blockbuster um and then finally um there's a movie called similar title to what i mentioned called freak out which is i think from like 2003 or 2004 very obscure little title. I don't even remember why I was aware of it. I bought the DVD um, as a kid, um, but it was this very micro-budget, um, independent British film made by like a few like twenty-year-olds, and it's uh, basically about some like slacker horror movie fans who um, befriend an escaped masked um, mental patient who wants to be a killer, but he's just too like kind and sweet to know how to do it and then they uh venture together to turn him into like a michael myers or a jason Voorhees type and just the idea of having this um uh these friends working together with what is ostensibly an evil character um just you know it, it i made the association um and it's a movie that i can almost guarantee that very few people in your audience have seen um but uh yeah freak out 
Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a cool one. I just wrote that down. I have I haven't seen it or heard of it, so that would be another one to check out to add to that list, possibly. Yeah, I think um, it was probably an example of like a pre like Kickstarter kind of like just through the various internet forum communities that I was on. Um, people were like, "Hey, we're trying to make a movie. Can you pitch in like some money?" And I was a child, so I was not one of the people doing it. But eventually, the movie came out, and I did purchase the DVD. Um. Yeah, that sounds like a fun one. Uh, all these sound fun. I think anybody who uh, endeavors to check any of these films out is going to be uh, singing our praises till the cows come home. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Uh, well, Chris, uh, where can folks find you on the social media and what other awesome things that you have happening that I haven't covered? Uh, you seem to cover them. I don't know. You can find me on Twitter, I guess. I don't really use it that much. Um, Chris Thomas Dev, I think I am. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully who knows, um, what, uh, the release schedule is in this crazy new world we find ourselves in, but hopefully, um, my film's Cobweb and, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot will be coming out sometime in 2021, possibly 2022. Hopefully in theaters, but who knows anymore. So su- suffice to say, you're going to have a pretty interesting year or so, probably. Uh, if the beginning of it is anything like the rest of it, no. It's going to be boring as hell and spent almost entirely within my apartment while mass death happens all around us. Oh, so I need to, I just need to get you back on the podcast then so you can help take, help take your mind off the mass death. Would love to. Yeah, we'll we'll have to we'll have to make that happen. That way, you're not focusing on the horror all around us. You know what? Sounds nice. Um, so, some housekeeping. You know, dropping next week uh, is our discussion of the new Iranian horror film, The Night. Uh, our guest is Brian Salisbury, co-host of the Junk Food Cinema podcast. Uh, awesome podcast. Brian's an awesome guy. I'm excited to talk about that film with him. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Movies with Gravy, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Movies with Gravy. We've got awesome exclusive content up there right now. We drop uh, mini reviews every Friday, which is basically me waxing poetic about some other films that might be a little too big to make the show proper. We've got interviews with some of the filmmakers, and in April, uh, our Patreon subscribers will even get to choose one of the films we discuss on the show. Uh, so you can donate at a $1 level, a $5 level, a $10 level, or a $25 level, and you get awesome perks with all of those. So if you like the podcast, support us on Patreon. We super appreciate it. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Help spread the word however you can. So far, you guys have been doing a great job of that. So just keep up the good work. And uh, big thanks to Chris for joining us this week on the show. Thanks, sir, for being here. Big, you're welcome right back at you. Yeah, it was a delight, and we'll get you back on soon. And now, something we like to call Southern Hospitality. You see a lot, Doctor. But are you strong enough to point that high-powered perception at yourself? What about it? Why don't you, why don't you look at yourself and write down what you see? census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti.
God damn it, Army Hammer. You too? Because so many actors are being thrown under the bus on a weekly basis for being abusive monsters, and you thought, hold my beer. Some of the accusations being leveled at Army Hammer right now go well past disturbing and are just plain sick and disgusting. His ex, Paige Lorenz, recently revealed that he used a knife to carve the letter A on her leg near her vagina. As a brand. Like she was cattle. I doubt he understood the literary implications of the A, made scarlet by the blood, and just thought it'd be cool to let everyone else know that she was his. One of her exact statements was, he has a desire to hurt women. That's not at all troubling, right? This is hot on the heels of those screenshots being released, which basically show Army Hammer talking about how interesting cannibalism is. This was enough for him to leave his upcoming project, and enough to cause some statements he made about the show Gossip Girl to resurface. So much Army Hammer the last few days. So I'm going to ask what we're all thinking. Each and every one of us. And it's what we've been thinking since the first moment we realized Army Hammer was worse than Kevin Spacey. What does Timothy Chalamet think? Because if there was ever a guy you'd imagine would never mistreat a romantic partner, it's Timothy Chalamet. Partly because pretty much anyone could kick his ass. He's so frail and vulnerable, a little angsty teacup. But he and Hammer are buds, and have been ever since they fucked and call me by your name. They had this weird, flirty bromance thing going that the media and the public just ate up. Oh look, these two dudes who aren't gay, but are playing gay, but might be fluid in the sexuality department, but who the fuck knows because it's 2021 in Thunderdome, anywho. They're so close and so fun. Let's get them in a sequel together. Here's guessing Army Hammer ain't gonna make that sequel. Throw Chris Evans in there. Because I, like millions, would give anything to see Timothy Chalamet score a piece of America's ass. Like so many fuckwits before him, including Shia LaBeouf, the piece of shit who was featured in the first installment of Southern Hospitality, like so many fuckwits before him, Army Hammer had so much going for him. Exceedingly handsome dude. When he wanted to be, not a terrible actor. Plenty of charm and charisma to make his way in the world. Heir to a fortune, because yes, the name Army Hammer wasn't a joke. And he's just fucked it all away by seemingly being the worst motherfucker to come along in a long goddamn time. I mean, branding a woman with your initial? Talking about eating your girlfriend's flesh? The man from Uncle? Look, I don't want to make light of this at all because it sounds like he has seriously damaged some women in his life, and he's certainly shown himself to be a fucked-up Ken doll that Barbie don't want anything to do with anymore. But what's next? Who's next? Because this has me wondering, are there any decent movie dudes out there? Because if something comes along about Timothy Chalamet, I'm gonna fucking lose it. We need that Call Me By Your Name sequel, folks. I want to see what Fruity fucks next. And no, that wasn't a slur. The dude literally fucks fruit. You've seen the movie. Who knows what else is going to come out about Army Hammer. Seems like he's probably got plenty more skeletons in his closet. Says he's taking a break now to focus on his family. I don't know. Maybe take a break to focus on not being, I don't know, 
every single serial killer in every movie ever before they make their first kill? I remember when folks were tossing his name around to play Ted Bundy years ago. In hindsight, it's all a bit spooky. So fuck Army Hammer. And everyone hold hands and pray for Timothy Chalamet. He is going to need our help to get through this. And that's our show. Movies with Gravy was conceived of, hosted by, and produced by me, Billy Ray Bruton, and the theme song is Country Roses by Flannery Whaley and me, Billy Ray Bruton. Y'all come back now, you hear? Country Roses, blessed songs, mommy's here.